من رأى منكم منكرا فليغيره بيده فإن لم يستطع فبلسانه فإن لم يستطع فبقلبه وذلك أضعف الإيمان رواه مسلم أما بعد So with today's class, inshallah, um, as we, some of us might know, our sheikh is out of town. Uh, inshallah, I'll be filling in for him. And uh, we will come, cover some of the things that were cov uh, taught with regards to the hadith from last week. Uh, so inshallah, we'll try to go into some of the details of what pertains to the hadith which was covered. So our sheikh, our beloved sheikh, Mawlana Tamim, Hafizahullah, he mentioned with regards to the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that states, that any of you who sees any form of evil or oppression or injustice, then let them do something about it with their hand, meaning physically prevented. If this person is unable to do that, then let him change it or do something about it with their tongue. And if you can't even do anything physically nor with your tongue, then at least have that feeling towards it within your heart and understand it within your heart and that is the lowest level of faith that a person can ex uh, express so with regards to this hadith as we know the hadith has to do with nahi anil munkar preventing people from being involved in evil and injustice or oppression before i get into the details of that i wanted to mention something that there's an ayah of the Qur'an which says, وَإِن تَعُدُّوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْسُوهَا Allah says in the Qur'an that if you try to count and enumerate the blessings of Allah Azawajal, you will not be able to do so. A lot of times, we don't realize what those blessings really are. Like for example, as far as the day-to-day -day things that we have in our lives, your food, your drink, your sleep, your rest, your body, your health, your family, your job, your stability, all of these things we can all understand. Right? There's physical signs that constantly remind us that these are the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your life. But there's certain things that we don't even pay attention to and we don't realize that those are some of the greatest things that Allah has given us as blessings from Him. And one of those being is the ahkam of sharia in the Quran and hadith of the Prophet. The rulings of deen, the ahkam of sharia, this is one of the biggest blessings that Allah has given us in our lives. And if you think about it, like for example, there's commandments in the Quran, there's commandments in the Hadith, and it's all throughout these, these, these sources that we have. Like for instance, there's ayat of the Quran about prohibiting us from certain actions, right? Or for example, there's ayat of the Quran that tell us that ordain certain things upon us. All of these things are a part of our lives. Why? Because these ahkam, they provide various benefits. One is, it provides spiritual benefits. The second thing is, it provides physical benefits, as in relating to your own life, right? The third benefit is the environmental and societal benefit. So if you look at every hukum of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every ruling that's mentioned in the Quran, or be it in hadith, every single benefit, uh, rule of the hukum and the deen of Allah has these three things common, that it gives you physical benefits in your life, it gives you spiritual benefits with regards to your nafs, with regards to your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how to control oneself, how to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And lastly, it also gives us societal and environmental benefits. Right? Like for instance, just take a random example. The hukum of, of drinking alcohol. Right? 
why is it forbidden in Islam? Allah talks about it in other places. Allah says, "Fihima ithmun kabir wa nas." Allah says there's some benefit in it, but also there's major harm. Wa ithmuhuma akbaru min Allah says the harm of it it far outweighs the benefit. So that is why it's something which is harmful for you. So in another ayah, Allah says, "Inna al-khamru wal-maisir wal-ansab wal-azlam wal-rijusum min amal shaytan fajtanibuhu la'allakum tuflihun." Allah categorizes that something which is filth. And Allah says, stay away from these things. Why? So can, you can be successful. So point being is, one is that it provides you physical benefits. The second thing is that it provides us spiritual benefits. When a person is not intoxicated, they are not attached to something which is worldly. What happens? You would be more inclined towards attaching yourself something which, to, to something which will get you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person will be more inclined towards attaching themselves to the Qur'an to the deen of Allah, to salah. A person who is attached and has all these other addictions, do you think that person is comparable to someone who does not know anything about those addictions? And that person that does not know anything about addictions or bad habits or anything else, that person, every opportunity they get, they look forward to standing in front of Allah in salah. They look forward to opening the Quran and reciting it. Why? Because that is the most valuable thing, thing to them. So spiritually, it also benefits them. It develops that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And lastly, environmentally, in every way that you can look at it, the hukum of Allah, the ahkam of deen, they provide environmental and societal benefits. Like in America, the number one cause of fatal deaths is what? Drunk driving. And it happens because when people get intoxicated, they, don't, they can't control themselves. They start driving and they end up killing themselves and other people. Why? Because like I said, the deen of Allah, it looks at the, the entire picture. It's not something which is very, very concentrated and focused on one time or one generation. Right? The ahkam of deen is one of the greatest blessings that Allah has given us. So, back to the ayah of the Quran which says, وَإِن If a person tries to count the blessings of Allah in their lives, they will not be able to do so. From amongst those blessings is the blessing of the ahkam of deen the rulings of deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, and obviously, amongst the rulings is the hadith that was covered last week with regards to nahi anil munkar, that you prohibit others from evil. And the entire concept of amr bil ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar is one of the most constantly addressed topic in the Quran. Right? If you look at every ayah that has to do with hukum, Technically, it's either Amr bil ma'roof or Nahi anil munkar. Right? It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is commanding us with, evil, uh, with staying away from evil or partaking in good. Right? If you look at the hadith with regards to the ahkam, the Prophet is commanding certain sahaba to do certain things. Or the Prophet is commanding certain sahaba to refrain from certain things. So you can see that the concept of Amr bil ma'roof wa Nahi anil munkar is such a prevalent concept in Islam that it applies to every step of the way and every aspect of our lives. And inshallah, I'll address certain things and certain circumstances, certain situations where Allah brings this up in the Quran. So in certain places, Allah brings this concept as a direct command. Allah says, Allah says in certain places that let there be amongst you people that they call towards good. They enjoin in good, they forbid from evil. You can see, 
So Allah is commanding us that there should be people amongst you that are making this a practice, making this a lifestyle, meaning they are implementing this concept and principle. So that is one place where the, the, the concept is addressed. In other places, Allah defines excellence with this concept. Allah uses this concept to define excellence. In what sense? It says in one ayah, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. And what is following that? Ta'muruna bil ma'rufi wa tanhawna anil munkar. Allah says that you are the best of people. Allah calls us the best of people. The ummah of Muhammad is called the best of people. What makes us the best of people? Allah specifies those things. And the first thing Allah starts with is Ta'muruna bil ma'ruf. You enjoin in good. You forbid from evil. So you can see that Allah is calling us Khayru Ummah. Right? Allah is calling us the best of nations. Why? Ta'muruna bil ma'rufi wa tanhawna anil munkar. You enjoin in good, you forbid from evil. So that concept within itself, as you can see, that is one of the definitions, one of the things that defines excellence. Like what makes us better, right? It's not that we are better people as individuals, not necessarily, but because Allah says that you are such people that do ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhawna anil munkar. So that is the second uh, form where Allah addresses this concept in the Quran. Another method where Allah addresses this concept is Allah ties this to the purpose of nubuwa, the purpose of prophethood of the Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? It says in one ayah in Surah Araf, it says, الَّذِينَ يَتَّبِعُونَ الرَّسُولَ النَّبِيَّ الْأُمِّيَّ الَّذِي يَجِدُونَهُ مَكْتُوبًا عِنْدَهُمْ فِي التَّورَاتِ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ يَأْمُرُهُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَاهُمْ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ In this surah, in, in this ayah in particular, Allah says that those people that follow the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi and what is the quality? What is the specific attribute of this Prophet? يَأْمُرُهُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ This Prophet is sent so he can command them with good. وَيَنْهَاهُمْ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ And this Prophet is there so he prohibits them from evil. So you could see that one of the, the maqasid al-nubuwa, one of the purposes of prophethood is what? That the Prophet was sent to establish أَمَلْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَالنَّهِي عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ that enjoin in good, forbid from evil. And in other places where this concept is men mentioned, and before I get into this one, subhanAllah, if you look at some of the other places in the Quran, what does Allah say? That, لُعِنَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ عَلَى لِسَانِ دَاوُدَ وَعِيسَ بْنِ مَرْيَمْ ذَلِكَ بِمَا عَصَوْ وَكَانُوا يَعْتَدُونَ Allah says that the people from Bani Israel, those that disbelieved, they were cursed. They were people that were Right? They would not refrain from any evil that they would do. They would do all kinds of evil. And it's mentioned about them that they would not hold back from any type of evil that they would, they would uh, get an opportunity for. So if you look at that example and then you compare the ayat of the Quran which address the ummah of Muhammad which addresses the purpose of Prophet Muhammad you can see that one of the concepts one of the main ideas that makes it different for this ummah is what? That this ummah accepts and makes this a practice, this concept of amr bil ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar. And then the fourth one, 
the fourth place where Allah mentions this, and this is one of the most important qualities that a person should, should keep in mind, is that Allah defines the qualities of believers with this same exact quality. Allah says, And a few other qualities, right? Allah says that believers are such that they are companions of one another, they're guardians of one another, and they enjoin in good, they prohibit from evil. This is a definition of a true believer that is mentioned in the Quran. So you could see that this concept is so prevalent, it is so relevant to our lives, at least it's supposed to be that way, right? We're supposed to make this concept a reality, a practical lifestyle as much as we can. Why? Because Allah has given it so much emphasis. Allah associates and defines excellence through this, right? Allah says, Allah gives us ahkam, Allah gives us direct commands with regards to following this, 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 this hukum, this ruling. Allah mentions and defines the purpose of nubuwa, of prophethood with this. And Allah says that the true quality of believers is defined by what? Those that enjoin in good and prohibit from evil. So these are some of the places that's mentioned. It addresses the concept of amr bil ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar. And if you look at the lives of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, if you look at the life of the Prophet in so many ahadith, when he's advising his companions, when he's addressing certain things, he talks about the same exact concept. And if you look at it, where the Prophet says that, hold back your tongue to Mu'adhi radiallahu anhu, for instance, or he addresses any other situation, every single one of them is a command. Either it has to do with partaking in good, or it has to do with forbidding from evil. So you could see that this is a purpose, one of the things that, has to, that comes with our deen. Right? I'll read just one hadith to give us an example of how the Sahaba anhum would look at this concept. It says, عن أبي الوليد عبادة بن الصامت رضي الله عنه قال that the Sahaba Sahabi رضي الله عنه عبادة بن الصامت رضي الله عنه said بايعنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم على السمع والطاعة that we pledged allegiance to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم we gave our covenants to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم upon listening, hearing, and obeying the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم that's one thing في العسر واليسر in times of difficulty and in times of ease. And in times where it's pleasant times, it's good times. And in times where suffering, we're in difficulties and hardships. And the hadith continues and mentions several other things. But you could see, what did the Sahaba do in this exact situation? They would say that, بَايَعْنَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم على السمع والطاعة في العسر واليسر. يعني this was a part of our lives. This is not something where we had an option to do this or not, right? This is not something that was based on our opinions, right? In deen, if you really understand the concept, and perhaps you could say that this is the hardest thing to eliminate, is the hardest thing to eliminate for a person is to eliminate me, myself, and I from your life. That I do not have a right to have an opinion about everything. I do not have a right to... To, to decide what is part of deen and what's not, right? And that is the problem that a lot of people face in today's day and age. Whether it's in the first world countries or third world countries, everyone tries to understand deen according to their own deficient understanding. And really, the human intellect can only do so much. It's always bound to have mistakes and faults and deficiencies. 
And we cannot rely on that and compare that to divine. We cannot rely on that and compare that to something like the Quran. Why? Because at the end of the day, your opinion, my opinion, is something which is an opinion. But when the Quran addresses something, when the Quran states something, this is not an opinion, it's factual. The hukum of Allah, the hadith of the Prophet, this is not something which is based on opinion. The hadith, what does Allah say about it? وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيُ يُوحَىٰ Allah says, everything the Messenger of Allah وسلم, would say, it was a revelation from Allah He would not speak from his own will. Right? So, we could understand that in today's day and age, why is there such a big concept and a, a, a big problem of people refusing to accept this? And subhanAllah, in today's day and age, Amr bil ma'roof, nahiya anil munkar, has become a concept that's immediately right off the bat is offensive. Like if you, if someone is addressed, and it's, it's not, we're not talking about just believers amongst one another, right? We're talking about even if a teacher addresses a, 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 something to his student, or someone in authority addresses something to their people, even that has become offensive. Like who are you to tell me to wear a hijab? Who are you to tell me to pray? Who are you to tell me to recite the Quran and study the deen of Allah? Who are you to tell me to not gamble? Who are you to tell me to not do lustful gazes or do this and that? Now, in today's day and age, everything has become offensive. Whereas, look at how much emphasis Allah puts on this concept in the Quran. How much emphasis is given to this concept in hadith. Right? That literally this is a part of every believer's life. So, and with regards to the importance of this concept, I wanted to mention one hadith which states, that عن النعمان بن بشير رضي الله عنهما عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم he said the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he gives an analogy okay the prophet gives an analogy in this hadith I'm about to read with regards to the concept of أمر بالمعروف والنهي عن المنكر so it says مثل القائم في في الحدود والواقع فيها كمثل قوم استهموا على سفينة so it says that the example of those that they establish the hudud of Allah, meaning they don't transgress the boundaries of Allah and the example of those that fall in it, the example of those that fail with regards to these boundaries is like the example of a group of people that draw lots on a boat, on a ship. So it's important to understand why does it mention draw lots? I'll explain that at the end inshallah. So it says, فَصَارَ بَعْضُهُمْ أَعْلَاهَا وَبَعْضُهُمْ أَسْفَلَهَا so what is the drawing the lots for? Is that some of them end up being on the top deck, some of them end up being on the bottom of the ship. So they end up in their positions, somewhere on the top, somewhere on the bottom, and it says, So it says, وَكَانَ الَّذِينَ فِي أَسْفَلِهَا إِذَا اسْتَقَوْ مِنَ الْمَاءِ مَرُّوا عَلَى مَنْ فَوْقَهُمْ So anytime the people that were on the bottom Anytime they had to take out water, they would have to go and pass by the people that were above. So they had a specific place on top and they would just take out water. So the people on the bottom, they would constantly go and bother the people on top. So it says that فَقَالُوا لَوْ أَنَّا خَرَقْنَا فِي نَصِيبِنَا خَرْقًا وَلَمْ مَنْ فَوْقَنَا They said that if we basically dig a hole on our portion, on the bottom deck, and that way, we don't have to go to the top every single time. We don't have to get the water from the top. We will just dig a hole on our part, and it's easy access to the water. And we won't have to bother the people above us. 
So it says in the hadith, فَإِن تَرَكُوهُمْ وَمَا أَرَادُوا هَلَكُوا جَمِيعًا So what happens if the people above, now imagine the idea that the people on the bottom have is let's dig a hole on the bottom, that way the access to water is a lot more easier and we won't have to bother the people up top. If the people up top allow this to happen, what happens? Everyone will drown, right? هَلَكُوا جَمِيعًا and it says, وَإِنْ أَخَذُوا عَلَىٰ أَيْدِيهِمْ نَجَوْ وَنَجَوْ جَمِيعًا And if they hold them back, if they stop them, what happens? Everyone will be saved. Everyone will be protected. So now, few things to take from this hadith. The first thing is, the hadith starts off with saying that إِسْتَهَمُوا عَلَىٰ سَفِينَةٍ They drew lots, right? They drew lots to see who will be on the top deck and who will be on the bottom. What's that analogy for? Is basically... Allah has decreed certain individuals to be the ones commanding with good. Right? Allah has decreed for that to happen. No one chooses to be who they are in terms of their nasib and what Allah has decreed and ordained for them. Right? There are certain individuals that are Allah has meant to be for, for them to be the people of authority. You have to accept that. That is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one purposely chooses to be an imam. No one purposely chooses to be the leader of a nation. No one chooses to be in that position of leadership and authority. So that is why, why does Allah in, in one ayah, Allah says, Allah says, obey Allah, obey his messenger, and obey the people in authority. Why? Because they're not the people that chose to be in that position themselves. They're not people that just went there by force, took that position, and now you just have to listen to them. Right? Allah puts people in that position, first and foremost. And that is for khair. So that's first and foremost. So they drew lots. Why? Because the people that do Amr bil Ma'roof, it's not like they chose to be in that position in the first place. The people that are the recipients of Amr bil Ma'roof or Nahi an al Munkar, it's not like they chose to be in that position. Right? That is the Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And everyone has to accept that. So that's first thing. Second thing is that what happens? The people on the bottom, they had an idea. This is the second analogy. They had an idea. The idea wasn't so bright. Right? Again, what was the idea based on? The idea was based on their deficient intelligence, their deficient opinion. Now, if the people on top, the people in authority, if they allowed this to happen, what would happen? They would all drown. Now, if you reverse the rules, if you say that the people on bottom were on top, and the people on top were on the bottom, so if those same people with a deficient idea, if they were on the top deck, they dug a hole. Do you think it would make a difference? Not really. Right? Not really because it's not to the surface of the boat. It's a little bit elevated. So that is why the people on top, they have the authority. If they don't step in, if they don't stop this, everyone's going to drown. Right? So that's something to keep in mind is that the, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, it teaches us this. And it gives this analogy to remind us that Amr bil Ma'roof and Nahi an al Munkar is a part of every believer's life. Right? And this is something that should not be offensive. This is not something which should be looked at as who are you to tell me what to do and what not to do. Right? And subhanAllah, every one of us can relate to situations that we've been in that the idea of Amr bil Ma'roof, the idea of Nahi an al Munkar, it seems offensive to us. It seems like it's something that we hold back and we're hesitant to accept it, right? Or people are hesitant to accept it when you present it to them. And this is something which is common. Why? Because 
the biggest problem that people have in today's day and age is the environment. The way the environment shapes everything to be. The ahkam of Allah are looked at as blessings. Like I said, the Quran says, وَإِن تَعُدُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْسُوهَا Allah says, if you try to count the blessings of Allah, you will fail. You will not be able to count them. One of the blessings is the rulings of deen. If a person understands that if Allah has ordained the hijab, it's not for me to live a life of something that's deficient, something that's less than others. Right? This life that Allah has given me is a life of izzah, a life with honor, a life with haya, with modesty. And this life is way better than anyone else that's living their lives the way they feel like it. So you have to understand that. We have to train ourselves with that. So making sure that we firmly understand why has Allah ordained this idea and this concept in our lives. And with regards to the application of this concept, right? how does this concept become manifest? Different ways. Amr bil ma'roof, nahi anil munkar. What is the reality and manifestation of it? First and foremost, obviously, on a governmental level, it becomes a reality. It's applicable, right? If you have a hukum, a government, a ruling that has, uh, they implement the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they do have a right to authorize certain ahkam and make them a part of the society as long as it's part of deen, right? And there's so many ahadith with regards to obeying them, ayat of the Quran that addressed us about this. So you have to accept that, right? That is the first level of authority that you have to accept. Another level of authority is someone who is studied, someone who's qualified, someone who can guide you to the right path, right? And with regards to that, Allah Azawajal, the ayat that I read from uh, Surah, Surah Tawbah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it says, وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتُ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضٍ Allah says that the believers are like guardians and friends and companions to one another, meaning they look out for one another. And we know of the concept, uh, the, the, the famous hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu it says, that none of you has true faith unless you wish for your brother what you wish for your own self. That is what the Prophet has told us. So you understand that really what defines success, what is the definition of success is in following the ahkam of deen, in following the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, if I, for instance, am I am not able to see it for what it is, then what happens? If my fellow brother looks out for me and they try to correct me, they try to bring me on the right path, this should not be something which I take as offensive. Rather, this is something which is the definition of a true believer, as the Prophet mentions in the hadith. You wish for yourself what you wish for your brother, right? If I'm drowning, wouldn't I want someone to save me? Of course I would, right? So same thing with this. A person is drowning in a situation, in a sin, in a, a circumstance. They would want someone to come out for them and, and look out for them and try to protect them and try to save them. And, and this is something that anyone would want. It's not something that you should hold back from. So that is the second manifestation of it, is you learn and you listen to someone who is an authority in deen. Right? Someone who is an authority in deen, whether that is an imam, whether that's a local scholar, whether that is someone that has uh, the, the proper education of deen, that they can guide you to the right path. And in general, for instance, obeying your parents or the huquq al-walidain and all of these other things, all of these also fall under the category of amr bil-ma'roof. Right? Because you have to understand that your parents, they don't wish something harmful for you. 
They don't wish something dangerous for you. They would want success for you. Now, if it's a situation where the parents do not know the best thing for you, you consult with someone that's qualified and you, you realize that it's not the best thing, that's a different situation. But on a very general level, every parent wishes the best for their child. They want success for their child, right? What does Luqman السلام, tell his, uh, his son in the Quran with regards to uh, giving advice? It says, وَإِن جَاهَدَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُشْرِكَ بِي مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٌ فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا It's in the story of Luqman السلام, right? It says that if your parents, as they, they, they encourage you, they force you to ascribe partners to Allah, فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا Do not do that. Why? Because now you're transgressing the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is something you're not authorized to do even at the cost of pleasing your parents. But, وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا and you have to be good to them in this life. Allah says that. Right? Why? Because you still have their rights and you still have to maintain that. So, in general, if any ahkam or anything that comes from the parent side and we know that in that there's a lot of khair for us, then we should be accepting of that. This should not be offensive in any way, shape, or form. Anyone who's... And, and then the last category is the amr bil ma'roof or nahi al munkar which comes from believers. Right? Your fellow believers. That's probably the hardest and the least practiced and implemented in today's day and age because everyone, because of so much information out there, right? Everyone can Google something on the spot and find out what, what this is about, what this concept is. They're like, who are you to tell me this, right? I have equal knowledge, if not more, right? So you have no way, you have no right to correct me. You have no, no rights to step in and tell me what's good, what's not. So everyone knows better. That's the, the time that's, that we live in, that everyone knows better. No one can correct someone. No one can... Can, can step in and guide someone. It's not applicable anymore. Inshallah, we ask Allah to make that a reality and help us revive that sunnah and that practice in our lives. So, these were some of the ways that a person can manifest amr bil ma'roof. With regards to nahi an al munkar, right? Nahi an al munkar also has different, different implementations of when it becomes a uh, reality. First and foremost, if there's, as the hadith clearly mentions, that if there's any sort of oppression taking place, right? Any type of injustice taking place. For instance, um, there's some sort of a genocide against Muslims in some part of the world, right? If someone can physically stop it, as in through financial means, through raising awareness, through anything else that they can do, they should do that. They should be the first ones to do it, right? That's why it says, مَنْ رَأَى مِنْكُمْ مُنْكَرًا فَلْيُغَيِّرْهُ بِيَدِهِ First is with your hand. First you should try to stop it. And if you can't do that, then stop it with your tongue. And if you can't even do that, at least understand and know what it is in your heart. And that is the least, the lowest level of iman. So point being is that that is one form of where al-munkar becomes manifest. Is that when there's any sort of oppression taking place, then we should be aware of that. We should understand that and we should be the first ones to try to make a difference about it, right? And why is that, why is that such an important concept? This ties into what another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He says that, واحد, The ummah of Muhammad ﷺ is like one single human body. That if one limb, if one part is in difficulty, one part is suffering, one part is in pain. What happens? The entire body is uncomfortable. The entire body can't even function. Right? And that should be the example of Muslims. 
That should be the examples of everyone. That similarly, and again, it goes back to the same thing. I would want that for myself, right? If I'm suffering, if I'm in a difficult situation, I would want someone to come and help me. I would want someone to look out for me. And the only thing that really connects us is what? The deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we would want someone to look after us. We would want someone to connect us. So similarly in this situation, we have to have that same mindset for everyone, for all Muslims, right? So this is one form of the manifestation of nahi al munkar, where there's some sort of oppression taking place and you try to do something about it. Whether that is physically, whether that's financially, whether that's to raise awareness, to speak about it, or at least understand the concept. Some people, what they do is they want to turn a blind eye to everything. Right? I don't want to check the news. It makes me stressed out. It makes me depressed. Uh, I can't function in the day. I understand you shouldn't overwhelm yourself with the news, that you can't do anything but just constantly think about it. At least understand that things are happening. Right? There's people that are less privileged than us in other parts of the world. At least we should be aware of that. And that's the least that we could do. Right? And that is what it is. That's the least that we could all do. At least have it in your heart, understand it, and the, the least that any of us could do something about is what? You make dua for someone. The dua is such an easy access, ibadah, worship, that Allah has given like 24-7 access to everyone, right? You do not need to be in a state of tahara, you do not need to be clean, you do not need to have wudu, you don't have to face the qibla, you don't have to be dressed in a certain way, or anything. There's no requirements for a dua, right? You ask Allah You ask Allah anytime, anywhere. It could be verbal, it could be in your heart. It could be internal, it could be external. Doesn't matter. Dua is something which everyone has access to, right? And this is something that everyone could do. Everyone is capable of it. So that is why that the, one of the, the, the best things or one of the, the least things I would say that a person can do in these situations is number one, be aware of things that are happening. Number one, be aware of all types of munkar that's happening. The munkarat that are taking place. Number two, have that concern for your other fellow Muslims and make dua for them and understand that they're going through tough times. Right? And uh, that is one manifestation. Another manifestation of nahi anil munkar is what? Is when you see someone committing a sin. Right? When you see someone falling into a sin, disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that is also something which is evil. Right? You see someone openly gambling. You see someone openly sinning. Right? This is something that is not acceptable in deen. Right? Fisq is not acceptable in Islam. It's something that should be prevented and stopped. And like I said, in today's day and age, people take offense to that. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Right? If believers don't help one another stay on the right path, who's going to do it? And I'll give an example, subhanAllah. One of the benefits of having a masjid, right? A masjid is like the center of Islam. A masjid is like the, it's a proof that this locality has Muslims that have established it, right? It's a sign of it. And one of the benefits of, for example, a salah bil jama'ah, praying in congregation, attending the masjid at the house of Allah is what? Is that one of the benefits of it is that you get to see that I'm not the only one who is obeying the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I am not the only one entrusted with iman. I'm not the only one who is entrusted with this responsibility of forbidding from evil, staying away from evil, enjoining in good. I'm not the only one, right? Imagine if there was no concept of Salatul Jama'ah, like how the Christians have. 
Christians have once a week you go to the church and that's it. The rest of the week you're to yourself, right? You could do whatever you want. And then the last day you come back and now you're trying to connect to God, right? That's not how Islam is. Why? Because in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're supposed to be reminded every single day that you're not the only one, right? And there's an ayah of Surah Muhammad. It talks about people that are stingy to give, but the principle is general. It applies to every situation. It says, at the end of it, it says, the last, the last ayah of Surah Muhammad, وَإِن غَيْرَكُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَكُونُ Allah specifically talks about people that are stingy and they don't give for the sake of Allah, but the principle applies to everything. Allah says, if you turn away from the path of Allah, if you turn away, Allah will replace you with people that are better than you. They will not be like you, right? So understand that Allah has given you something very special. And if a person does not appreciate this, if a person does not work to maintain this in their lives and preserve this, Allah has promised. This is not exclusive to you. The deen of Allah does not depend upon you and I, right? We are just here we're taking the benefit of it. Allah has blessed us with it. So we should be grateful for that. And like I said, that any blessing we have in our lives, it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is why a person should understand that when nahi anil munkar takes place in terms of, for example, one person is disobeying Allah, another fellow believer steps in and says, this is not acceptable in deen. You should hold back from it. Now they should refrain from that. They should stay away from it. So that is another manifestation of nahi anil munkar. Now there's one thing that everyone should keep in mind when going about these two concepts, right? Amr bil ma'roof, enjoining in good and forbidding from evil, it has to do with dealing with others. Now, just because the concept exists as a principle, it doesn't mean that everyone is the suitable person to implement it at all times, right? That's not what it means. Certain people are not befitting to implement this with regards to other people. Like for example, uh, maybe I might not be the best, best person to convey the message of brother, don't do this, right? Some people, if they're encouraging someone, instead of encouraging, they make them run away from deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? That's why every person is not best fit for da'wah. Why? Because he gives da'wah, but instead of giving da'wah, he's making that person run away from Allah. That person's like, what is this? Is this Islam? Oh man, I'm, I'm done with this, right? Uh, I'll keep my distance. So people run away from it. Why? Because it's, it's just something that's not, that's not uh, the, the appropriate method of giving that amr bil ma'roof or nahi anil munkar. It's not the best method for it. So that's why a lot of people, they, they choose not to accept it, right? And they become offended sometimes because of the method that it's being presented. So we should also be mindful of what is the best method of going about this. How can we make sure that we, we train ourselves, we better ourselves to understand the concept and be able to better uh, go about it, right? And training yourself, obviously, it's something which is a lifelong effort. And every person has that struggle, right? Allah says what in the Quran? Worship your Lord until death comes to you, right? Until death comes to you, your job is to be connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you constantly train yourself to become better and better, become more responsible, become more disciplined, and to understand the implementation of all of these ahkam and rulings of the deen of Allah. And I wanted to give an, an, an example, an analogy, with regards to training oneself, right? It's mentioned, it's a story, 
with regards to uh, this one imam it's mentioned so there's an imam in a locality and he was selling his horse he had a horse and he wanted to sell this horse and this imam you know, because you know when he was training the horse he made sure that he trained the horse properly he said that i want to train this horse make sure that it follows my command exactly to the dot and he it won't do anything else right so the imam trained the horse such that if the the if it wanted to make the horse go a little bit slow like start taking slow strides it would say that the imam would say allahu akbar as soon as the imam that the horse would hear that right the horse would start start going and then if the imam wanted the horse to stop he would say subhanallah and the horse would immediately stop and if it wanted the horse to run fast full speed he would say alhamdulillah and the horse would just take off so the horse was trained to just hear those words and just go right so don't forget the words that he used he used allahu akbar for going slowly and he would say subhanallah for a full stop and he would say alhamdulillah as soon as the horse would hear that horse would take off so he got the word out there in the market and he told some people about it so people found out that this imam is selling a horse and uh you know some people came wanted to see it there's two individuals right two individuals that came to this imam and they said that we're interested in buying this horse from you so So these two individuals, they said that we want to purchase this horse. Before we get this, we wanted to take it on a sample. We just wanted to take it on a ride and see how it is. So then the Imam says, you're more than welcome to do that. However, just keep in mind that I've trained this horse in a very specific method and it follows very, very precise instructions. If you mess up, you'll be in trouble, right? So they said, go ahead, just guide us and tell us. We'll follow this, your instructions. So the Imam explained. He said, you want it to start walking? Say, Allahu Akbar. You want the horse to stop? Say, Subhanallah. You want the horse to run fast? Just say, Alhamdulillah. Right? So both of these guys, two guys, they get on the horse. They got on the horse, and they're sitting, and the horse does not even move. Right? The horse does not move one bit. So they're like, you know what? What did the Imam tell us? Oh, it was Allahu Akbar. So as soon as one of them said that, the horse started taking a few steps and they liked it they said you know it's not a bad horse then they said let's just try to test it out so they said subhanallah the horse stopped then they said allahu akbar the horse kept going they kept doing that then they were like you know what it's about time we we go for a ride so one of them said alhamdulillah he said alhamdulillah and the horse took off now the horse is just running full speed one way and they're trying their best they're getting mixed up they got confused they forgot what was the word to make it stop right so they're panicking all of a sudden they're panicking they're like alhamdulillah it's going fast they're like allah but it's just not helping nothing's helping and then they realize they're getting closer to the edge of a cliff and they're panicking even more now because they realize that the horse is about to take off with them right so then these guys do not know what to do at this point and then all of a sudden, right before they fall off the edge of the cliff, one of them remembered. He said, subhanAllah, the horse just stopped. 
So you could see the horse is following very good instructions. So the horse stopped. And they were so happy. One of them said, Alhamdulillah, loud. <laughs> and then the horse took off again. <laughs> so the point, the point being in the story is what? Is that obviously training is something which is not the easiest thing, right? Training oneself is something which requires effort. It requires time, energy, dedication, discipline. It's not an easy thing, right? Like for instance, if a person wants to memorize the Quran, is it an easy thing? Of course it's not an easy thing, right? You have to sit down and repeat ayat over and over again when everyone else is barbecuing and having fun and playing sports and doing all these other activities. You could be doing that too, but you choose to sit and memorize the Quran. Is it easy? Of course it's not. So training oneself in the deen of Allah is not something which happens overnight. It's not something which comes in instantly and naturally, right? That is why training oneself is a lifelong effort. In every way that we can think of it, it's not something which is so simple and basic. But at the same time, remember one thing, that if animals can be trained to perfection, then it should be a lot more easier with the intelligent beings, with human beings, right? It should be a lot more easier. We shouldn't just close the gate on ourselves and say, this will never happen, right? Just seal it as it is and you know, there's no way that this person can be trained. Of course that's not the case. Allah as long as a person's alive, as long as a person's breathing, as long as Allah has given them life, it's a sign from Allah that you have a chance to prove yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to prove your worth to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So make the most of it, right? And work every step of the way to become better. And lastly, what I wanted to mention is that as believers, we should never ever settle for how we are. And that is another problem that we have in today's day and age, which also results in people becoming offended when the concept of Amr bil ma'roof or Nahi anil munkar becomes manifest. Really, if you think about it, right? That a lot of people, a lot of Muslims, they've become settled for how they are in their lives, okay? One guy thinks he's the best Muslim on earth because he prays three times a day. Subhanallah, three times a day, you think you're the best Muslim, you're barely fulfilling the bare minimum, right? Like praying the fara'id five times a day, that's like a 60%. You're at the lowest of the low of 60%, a D minus. One slip and you're, at, uh, pass, you're failing now, you understand? So you shouldn't be proud of that. That's not something to, to, to boast about and to take pride in. You're actually barely passing. Understand that. And as Muslims, we should always look for ways to better ourselves. Be open about that. And inshallah, when a person is that way, when a person understands that, then that way they can, they can work on themselves. They realize that I have so much room to make improvements and adjustments in my life. Right? And, and lastly, one thing uh, that inshallah we should mention is that with regards to other individuals, if you look at the today's society, right? If you look at today's society and how people deal with one another, the outsiders, right? The people that are out there in today's day and age, people have become such that we're okay with people doing nahi anil ma'roof. People have become comfortable with this idea that stop me from good, it's okay, right? I can understand if someone stops me from doing something good. Right? Like for example, someone makes you feel uncomfortable praying in public. The person themselves feel ashamed next time and they, feel, they, they refuse to pray in public. Or someone, they want to do an act of good 
they feel embarrassed to do an act of good because of someone that just encouraged that, right? And similarly, there's people that they do amr bil munkar, ya'muruna bil munkar, right? They enjoin in evil. They tell us to do things that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? What's an example of that? Like peer pressure or like bad company. Like you have friends, they want you to listen to music instead of the Quran. They're like, oh, that's boring. Listen to Quran uh, on later, another day. Just listen to music instead. Or, for example, you have friends that always encourage you to cuss and swear. Normally, you wouldn't even say that, right? The Prophet says, that make sure your tongue is constantly moist with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has given us his tongue, this ability for speech. For what? To mention him, to mention his name, to recite the Quran, to get closer to him. Not to say things that are very, very lowly, very, very uh, obscene and inappropriate, right? So, for instance, people get encouraged for that. Or some people are with friends, they start doing inappropriate things, right? They start doing inappropriate things, whatever that might be. So my point is that we have to understand what is the reality of that? What does Allah say about that type of an environment, that type of a company in the Quran? Because Allah does address it in the Quran. Allah does talk about it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, and subhanAllah, it's very scary. It's a very, very scary ayah that, that, that addresses this is that this, in reality, is a quality of this uh, munafiqun. It's a quality of hypocrites. People that are munafiqun, that are against the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't even have iman in their hearts. Allah says, المنافقون والمنافقات بعضهم من بعض يأمرون بالمنكر. Right? That the hypocrites, how are they? They enjoin one another in evil. They encourage one another for evil. They prevent one another from good. That is a definition of a munafiq. Right? Imagine. Allah clearly says it. This is not... I'm not saying this based on what I understand from it. This is exactly the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. Right? This is not interpretation. This is just the exact ayat of the Quran. That Allah says that these are the qualities of the, the, the munafiqun. And Allah says about the munafiqun that they will be in the Allah says they will be in the lowest pit of the hellfire. So imagine, Allah has given us such a warning about these qualities that we have to understand and be careful about it. That how can we, especially us, how can we be amongst those individuals that are enjoining an evil? How can we be some in, such individuals that are forbidding from good? How can we be a part of that? It doesn't make sense. Allah has told us to stay away from that. Why? Because those are the qualities. Those are the awsaf al-munafiqeen. Those are the qualities of the hypocrites. And we should in no way, shape, or form even do something slightly resembling to their actions. Right? And Allah talks about the qualities of believers. A few eyes later, Allah says, وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتُ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضٍ And notice how with munafiqun, Allah doesn't say awliya. Allah doesn't say that they're true friends of one another. They're true companions. Why? Because they're leading one another to failure. They don't even know it themselves, but they're just setting one another up. Right? Hey, do this. It's not going to give you no benefit. 
even on the last day you will realize how embarrassed you will be in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They know that themselves, but they just can't help it. It's just a part of their lives. It's been that way for so long that it's become a part of their innate nature that they're inclined towards evil. And they make sure that they encourage towards evil. Right? And if you look at the believers, Allah says that the believers are awliya'u ba'd. Ba'duhum awliya'u ba'd. That they're companions of one another. They are true guardians of one another. They look out for one another. يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ That is what we're supposed to be. That we enjoin one another in good, we forbid and prohibit one another from evil. That is the definition. That is what makes us believers. And like I said, that was one of the things that Allah uses and, and, and addresses as a quality of a true believer in the Qur'an. Right? So inshallah, we should keep these things in mind and understand that the the idea of enjoining an evil and forbidding from good, it's a very, very dangerous zone that we should not even go near that, right? The least that a person can do, if a person is of no good, at least, you know, as the hadith mentions, مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيَقُلْ خَيْرًا أَوْ يصمت. If a person who truly believes in Allah on the last day, let them say something good or remain quiet. Just be neutral. That's the best thing. If you can't do something good, at least be neutral about it. Don't be a means of something that you're spreading evil. You're spreading false things, right? And you're, as Allah mentions, that there's Hezbollah in, in, in the end of Surah Mujadila, it says, That the people of Allah are the ones that are successful. And then the Hezbo Shaytan, it says, the people of shaitan, the followers of shaitan are in loss. They're losers, right? They're failures. They fail in this life and they fail in the next life. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the ability to understand the, the value of amr bil ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar to help us understand and how it relates to us in our lives and how important of, of a concept it is. Right? And in no way, shape, or form does a Muslim have a right to look at this as something which is offensive. Right? That a brother told me to not sin in public, that's a good thing for me. I should stop that. I should feel embarrassed about it. How can I have the, the, the audacity to sin in public? Right? How can I have the courage to sin in public and not be ashamed of it? At least a believer, there's a hadith, it actually talks about it and mentions and defines sin. You know the definition of sin is mentioned in a hadith. It says, وَالْإِثْمُ مَا حَاكَ فِي صَدْرِكَ That sin is something which it bothers you in your heart. It makes you uneasy, uncomfortable. وَكَرِهْتَ أَن يَطَلِعَ عَلَيْهِ النَّاسِ And you hate that other people should come to know of it. Right? You do not want people to find out about the sin that you're committing. That is the least level of iman that a person can have. That how can I have the courage to sin in public? And if a person does that and they're addressed by another believer, that should be a good thing. This should be a sign from Allah that Allah is allowing you to stop yourself early enough to return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we ask Allah to grant us the ability to understand the, the, the value of the concept of Amr bil ma'roof, Nahi anil munkar, and allow us to, to make the most of this and allow us to make this concept as a means of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we ask Allah to grant us the ability to see all the ahkam of deen, 
all the rulings of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the true blessings that they are. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.